Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. All right, we're here. We're ready to go. Welcome, Eric Morrison, to episode four of the Lifestyle Chase podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. You betcha. It's good seeing you. Uh, for anybody that's listening, we were the Spin Brothers of True Ride, and I have since let another person take my place, Ryan <laughs> Robles, one of my clients. We were the OG True Bro duo. We really were. Are you guys going to have another True Bro duo, or is he going to take all my legacy? I, you know what? We haven't talked about it, but I, I could see us doing that for sure. He's a rock star. It must be done. I've been training him. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's ready. Good. So tell me, what does a typical day in the life of Eric look like? Typical day in the life. I, uh, yeah, my alarm rings at seven. I hit snooze several times and then I quickly shower uh, and hit the road to, I live downtown and then I drive south to uh, Global Edmonton, which is where I work. I work in the creative services department there and my job title is a writer producer. Uh, at Chorus Creative. So depending on the day, um, I'm typically dealing with clients uh, that have bought airtime on Global and that need a commercial done. Uh, I'll swoop in, write, produce, direct, edit something for them that uh, will hopefully help them with their business. And I also do stuff for the station and uh, some long form programming stuff once in a while. But that's not all you do. There's times when I'm sure that you've had to wake up earlier for things that happen at 6 a.m. Maybe you're like supporting a colleague, somebody that you're showing the ropes. What else do you do, Eric? Tell the people. Well, I also am a, a spin instructor or an indoor cycling instructor, if you will, and I'm the head instructor at True Ride Cycle Studio on the south side. And that's right. Uh, I've been in Many a classes, many of your classes, bright and early in the morning when you were with us, and uh, I still teach three times a week there, uh, ride a ton, uh, do a lot of stuff behind the scenes as well. So how, how is the new crew shaping up? What do you think? Uh, we are so lucky to have a super tight group. Uh, we're all friends like outside of the studio, which is awesome, and the new folks are just, yeah, just uh, meshing really well. They're... They blending. Blending right in. That's the yeah, exactly what I was trying to say. Oh no, my alarm for night. Why do I have an alarm at nine p.m.? Who am I? What What is going on? I must have programmed it for Central or something. (laughs) Just a workhorse. But yeah, so that's uh, they're they're doing really well, and uh, you know they're only a month and a half in or something like that right now, Um, and they're they're great. They're doing fantastic. It's really exciting. That's good. You didn't always live in Edmonton. Tell us about your childhood and what brought you here. Tell us the story of Eric before Edmonton. Oh my goodness. It's not that interesting. But uh, I am a proud Maritimer. Uh, I mean, I grew up in New Brunswick, rural New Brunswick, in a town of uh, 1,900 people now, I think they are. The population fluctuates a lot depending on who comes and goes. Um, But uh, yeah, small fishing town on the east coast of the province, so it's on the water. we have one traffic light. It's not quite a traffic light. It's the type that blinks orange on one street and red on the other street. So that's just to give you an idea of how small it is. Uh, Congestion's not an issue. Um, and uh, yeah, I went to school there, um, high school, 
and all in French. It's a French town. My mom is uh, French-speaking, and my dad is English-speaking, so I'm fluently bilingual. I'm one of the lucky ones. And it's a funny part of the country because it's uh, it's like a poorer area, uh, and our town is like a, a French town sandwiched between two English towns. New Brunswick's really interesting like that. It's it like, yeah, town to town, like... Either the language changes completely, and people sometimes don't even understand each other from city to, from town to town, uh, and the accents even are really different from town to town. Um, and yeah, so I did all of my schooling there. It was a great childhood. Um, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. We were in the in the water all the time on beaches, uh, playing in the woods. It was where we got to use our imaginations to the fullest, and you know, you don't have a lot of the problems that you'd have in a city where. Your parents feel like they need to keep eyes on you or prevent you from, I don't know, you know, getting hit by a car in the street or whatever. We had fields to play in, woods to play in. It was fantastic. And that sounds like my kind of childhood. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. So I went to uh, Université de Moncton to do my bachelor in marketing. And when I was doing my, my degree, I realized I didn't really want to do that for a living. And uh, there was one part of the degree I liked or the my fourth uh, year there, we did this mock campaign for like a local beer company. I mean, it's a lot of passions combined there. Um, (laughs) More on that later. Uh, But uh, so we did a mock, yeah, advertising campaign, which included a TV commercial. And for the first time I used a camera and I directed people and I was like, Hey, I think I could do this. And I, and I kind of developed an interest in filmmakers and watching kind of indie movies. And I was kind of the weird kid in, rural New Brunswick that liked artsy stuff Uh, and I decided that as soon as my degree was done I was gonna book it to Vancouver for a one-year film production program which is what I did I packed everything into my tiny Mazda protege and I drove across the country to my new home Vancouver where I would live for eight years damn how Hmm. long did that Mazda protege hold up for you (laughs) well the drive itself was like uh, I think five and a bit days of just like driving 12 hours a day i would highly recommend it it's man when you're going through a life change like that there's no better way to really think about it and let it soak in than to be in a car by yourself listening to your favorite tunes i I call those vision quests absolutely yeah it was a little bit like a pilgrimage but (laughs) with creature comforts i guess um yeah and but uh, yes that uh i've long since retired that car Mm mm-hmm didn't last too much longer uh, i think trip. i kept it for actually I, I did keep it for i don't know like six years still in vancouver like i that was my vancouver car you gotta like respect those vehicles when it goes through all that with you it's hard it's to let it go the test of time yeah hard to let it go 100%. Mm-hmm. so you did the program at vancouver film school fun fact vancouver film school was also a place where i thought of going to school that's i was dead set i was gonna go as soon as i graduated high school and i talked myself out of it because i thought ah i'll never be able to make a go of it making videos and here i am making videos in my training sessions right it's uh it is a tough go to like make it your full-time job and that's something that i kind of discovered pretty quickly in fact not long after I graduated, uh, there was a writer's strike. And Hollywood, I don't know if you remember that, but that's Hollywood basically shut down a lot of production. And um, Vancouver, for better or for worse, is a, kind of a service industry to Hollywood. They'll, a lot of shows come up to Van to shoot there because there's great incentives for those production companies. 
and it dried up like overnight. It was just completely different. So that was a terrible time to be like new into the industry, um, trying to make a go of it. Uh, I, I, so I, yeah, there was this job up in Fort St. John and for a little media company that actually doesn't exist anymore. Um, and they were hiring and I was like, yeah, I'll try that for six months, see what happens. And that was my first taste of the North. <laughs> Fort St. John is not fun. Like, <laughs> I well, did a vision quest trip there once. Did you? One of my buddies, he was dating a girl that lived there and was doing some uh, lumber forestry related schooling there. And well, probably more of an internship. But in any case, we did the day trip. He slept the whole time. We drove, we got there, we looked around, we went through a mall, we drove back home. <laughs> That was it. <laughs> yeah. like, there's not much there. Yeah, I lived there for six months, and it's a city that's kind of um, it's a it's an oil city. It's an uh, they call themselves the energetic city, and they are you know slowly kind of building themselves out. Uh, <laughs> they've got cool events that happen. Uh, a buddy of mine runs the uh, events at the Encana Center, um, so they they do get shows and stuff every once in a while. But yeah, it wasn't really where I was you know ready to call home, so I made my way back to Vancouver. What kind of projects would you work on when you're working there, though? It's interesting, actually. Uh, a lot of local stuff, uh, little like local companies that needed videos, and when stuff would happen, newsworthy up there, um, CBC, the CTV, and Global would call this little company and, hey, do you guys have a cameraman available? There's like the gas line explosion or something on the one of the pipelines. Can you go get shots of that? So a couple times, I found myself, yeah doing these weird stories uh, or these weird little shoots for media companies in Vancouver, uh, which is actually led me to working for the CBC uh, in Vancouver. They, they posted a job for, on the French side, and I was actually able to show them this story that I shot uh, up in Fort St. John about this old lady who runs a weather station in Pink Mountain, which is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the CBC calls the, co the company one day and they're like, hey, so they're, one of our staff, or she works for Environment Canada, I'm not sure, uh, she runs a weather station and she was attacked by a wolf while she was going to do her checks. And she managed to fend it off and go to the hospital. And it's a great story. So I show up there, Pink Mountain, like, hours of driving, don't know where the heck I am. And this feisty lady just like recounts this tale of her uh, battling off a wolf who she, you know, will will admit was probably really old and emaciated and hungry and that's probably the only reason he, he so he was very humble lady you attacked you you fended off a wolf that's awesome don't undersell this this is amazing <laughs> yeah so uh yeah so i shot that story um, and it was great because it was like a demo reel material and ammunition for my interview at the cbc where i was like look i've actually shot for you already yeah you just didn't know it yeah how long did you work for the cbc I was at the CBC for three years. Uh, they hired me right before the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. I worked on the French side. Um, and that's actually where I got my first taste of like uh, writing and producing. I did a little bit of uh, filing for the new show in French. Uh, I, did, uh, I covered the uh, International Film Festival there for the French radio and TV. Um, yeah, it was a really cool job. No kidding. Mm -hmm. There's so much of your story that you like neglect to tell. Tell us more. <laughs> yeah. Where do we go from here? Uh, just want to just keep talking keep about going. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after getting a bit of a taste for production and, and um, you know working with 
actors or working with um, like directing shots and thinking about angles rather than just following whatever's happening for like if you're shooting a news story you're just getting what you can pretty much when you're in control and you're able to like finesse a story and tell it the way you want to it's, it's really rewarding uh, for me anyway so I decided I wanted to do that full-time so I ended up uh, working for TELUS they have a their headquarters is in Vancouver and they had a video department there so I did a lot of commercials for them and and um, internal marketing videos, external marketing videos, all kinds of stuff like that. And then I met a girl who was going to the U of A, and here I am, four years later. On to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Edmonton when you first saw it? First impression, three words. Give me three words. Gray, industrial, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, eh is not a word. <laughs> mm. I feel like part of the problem was that I came in like on the Yellowhead, uh, and I, I think when you're coming into the city from the Yellowhead, it's like very there's like lots of, I don't know, smokestacks and it's gray and you know I was I was leaving like the green hippie utopia, and then arriving like uh, at the end of October no less, uh, probably cold like it is these days. Uh, to, to Edmonton and yeah I think at first I found it was a little difficult I, I it took me a while to find you know people that I um, felt like were the same as me or had the same interests and values as I did um, you know the people that work were cool but um, I don't I didn't necessarily hang out with them outside of work that much and yeah it took me a, I feel like it took me a little bit to find my footing in the city totally and that makes sense there's Everybody's first impression of Edmonton is going to be like, eh, it's a giant parking lot. Look mm. at all these commons. South Common, <laughs> Mayfield Common. What else common? And that it's, makes sense. It's definitely like a driving city. It's, uh, you know, and it's not necessarily made for like walking around and, um, uh, you know, at the time it wasn't great for cycling. It wasn't necessarily great for being a pedestrian uh, as a commuter. Uh, but in the, even in the few years I've been here, like I, like they've made leaps and bounds in terms of um, transportation and accessibility. Like the bike lanes are awesome. I think they're awesome. I debate my friends at work about that. But uh, yeah, it's great to see a city like finding itself in a way that sounds super like condescending. I don't, it's I don't mean it to be. There's lots of cool things happening. Honestly, the ice district is amazing. I think once that's done, there's going to be all these great gathering areas downtown and it would be awesome to see downtown here thriving and and really being like a destination place to hang out plus there's so many like independent businesses here like i talked to an uber driver once and he told me like he's lived in five different cities in the states he's lived in three different cities in europe he grew up in the philippines and he's never seen so many like different options for food per like square kilometer anywhere else Edmonton's surprisingly multicultural and sometimes I feel like even more so than a, than Vancouver which is you know twice the population doesn't sometimes doesn't feel as multicultural as um, Edmonton you've got like really all all colors and religions represented here um, and yeah you're right it's like a great there's great options for food and once you find those local businesses and that scene, I guess, of like young entrepreneurs that are, you know, trying to bring all the good stuff to, to the city, then, then you're golden and then you're, you're really, you're really enjoying what Edmonton has to offer. 
Yeah, it's really neat. It's a place that you kind of learn to love. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's so easy to have like a first impression. You're like looking it over and you haven't even seen the river valley and you drove through like 17th street and you're like, yeah, this place has a bunch of oil stacks and <laughs> a bunch of smoke in the air. Kind of weird. don't like it. But then when you actually see the heart of the city and how much has changed, it's nice. And I think as far as, as far as big cities go, uh, Edmonton has a lot of opportunity uh, I got into really cool stuff like spin um, just by living here. I feel like if I had stayed in a Vancouver or a Toronto or a Montreal, I don't know. I don't know that I would have gotten into it, you know, just because there's more, I don't know, more people vying for those same opportunities. I feel like here it's, it was maybe at the time anyway, seen as kind of like this fringe thing, not super mainstream yet. So yeah, I felt like I was really fortunate to get into that. I, I also had a DJ gig for a while, which I always wanted to do. I don't know that I would have been able to do that either in a in a city with like tons more cool people vying for the same jobs, you know? That's making sense. It's making sense. I'm, I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Good. You say had a DJ gig. Did you stop your DJ gig? Yes. Uh, they, um, they sent us all home. And actually, uh, there have been a lot of changes at that bar I used to work at. Uh, but it was a perfect gig. I just, I, I'm an avid record collector as we sit in front of my ridiculous record collection. Uh, and I would just go there with a couple crates of records and play in the background. It was awesome. Uh, people would come and chat. I met some, made some great friends that way just by playing music at this bar. Yeah. And people would come up and like, oh, yeah, I heard of this band. Have you heard of these guys? Like music is one of my big passions. And, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome to be able to share that and connect with people over that in that setting. But yeah, it's um, it's too bad, but I mean, it made sense. It's not like I was bringing people in. It's not like, hey guys, have you heard Eric's playing tonight? Oh, we should go. Like that's... Eric, spin, 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 spin. Echo, echo. <laughs> I, I, I was not a draw necessarily for uh, the, you know the, the people that uh, ate there, drank there. I was just kind of in the background. So I don't know. I'll dust off those turntables. You're better than a Spotify playlist in my heart, Eric. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have plans to like find a new space to do your thing, or are you good with just enjoying music as it is? Well, I've lo- I still buy too many records. It's slowed down. Uh, I feel like I was at the point where I was buying stuff just so I could play some different stuff at the bar, which makes sense if you're a DJ. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I will. I- I've been toying with the idea of looking for new venues to spin records in. Cool. Yeah. Because if a guy like me knows that. I seem to make a lot of friends. So if I know that Eric wants to spin vinyl somewhere, I'll make it happen. I mean, ideally it wouldn't be from 8 to 2 in the morning uh, like it used to be because then I had my spin class at 9.30 the next oh, morning. I hear you. I hear you. That is maybe not a, ideal for anybody. Maybe a brunch thing oh. if you if you hear anything. I tend to organize these brunch <laughs> things. So. I've heard of these, yes. Yeah. With your entrance into the fitness industry... I don't think you really saw it coming. Like, how did that sneak up on you? You're a guy who's, like, into film. You're into, like, kind of hipster things. You're full-on hipster. How'd you get into fitness? I'm, like, hipster light. <laughs> I, um, my girlfriend at the time, we're not together anymore, but um, she found this wine and ride at this place called True Ride, and it was, I think, the only spin studio in the, in the city at the time. And, hey, Eric, we should check this out. And I'm like, alcohol and working out? Sure. <laughs> That's one way to get me to sweat. That's how they got you. <laughs> so I showed up and I had a great time. I'd never done anything like that. Um, 
that's not true. I guess I had done like group exercise stuff at the YMCA. I, I used to do the spin classes at the Y in Vancouver, uh, Road Street. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was different. This was like it was dark. The music was loud. The instructors were like hype and like passionate. Um, candles, uh, lighting, lighting the room. It's a big room with like this stadium kind of setting. So like there were multiple levels. It was cool. And um, it's funny because like I kept going and my ex-girlfriend was like, now you can go. <laughs> and, I, and I became like the avid writer. And yeah, I, I, I don't know if they took notice or what, but um, the, the founder, Dana Rajat, um, one day after class was like, hey, would you be interested in teaching? Because I was always like front row and I have that beast mode face when I'm going really hard, like I'm gritting my teeth and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I guess they liked that. Um, and uh, I mean, at the time, I don't think there were a lot of, of uh, men teaching uh, indoor cycling. So, yeah, the stars aligned and uh, they onboarded me and trained me. That's awesome. What would you, if you could paraphrase your journey from that point on and you use five words, what five words would they be? Your takeaways from being involved in spin, the people you've met, my the takeaways. experiences you've had, five words. Five words. I think community, inspiration, musicality, energizing or energetic. Yeah. And then electricity. I feel like, I, I, I guess I was telling you this a little earlier. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit of an imposter in the fitness industry because I don't, I don't necessarily see myself as like a fitness guy. Does that make sense? Like, I don't love the gym, to be honest. Um, I got into spin and, and started doing spin at the YMCA because I just really, I like that setting. I like to show up somewhere. The hard part was showing up. And we say that in class all the time. And it's true. Getting off your ass and like going somewhere, knowing that you're going to, you know, sweat and it's going to be hard, but you're probably going to have fun and it's going to be, you know, you don't have to think about it too much because somebody's telling you what to do. I always liked that about spin. And, um, and now to be on the other side of that is kind of cool. But at the same time, I don't feel like I'm, I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, not to say, not to downplay what we do. I think what we do is great and, and, and it's important for a lot of people, but I'm not trying to like, you know, blow minds and like, you know, change people's lives per se. I, I'm hoping I can have a, an influence and contribute a little bit to their fitness journey and what they're going through. But it's not, um, yeah, I feel like I don't, uh, I don't necessarily teach my class uh, the way, say, like a soul cycle would with like all these like pearls of wisdom and like trying to like, you know. I and know. here I'm going to like drop a bomb on you and just blow your mind and have you take this from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So in Edmonton, there's probably thousands of trainers slash group fitness instructor guaranteed without exaggeration because there's a lot of gyms. Yeah. Each gym has a lot of trainers. Mm-hmm. Now, each trainer has a different personality. So a person looking to get into fitness, they're only going to operate on the same wave, wavelength as a person that they can relate to. Yeah. And so there are people out there that relate to you. You have a cult following. <laughs> you know it. I have a following. I think, uh, and maybe that's just it. Maybe it's because I... I'm just myself and I'm kind of a goofy guy and I don't take myself super seriously. I take indoor cycling very seriously though. Yeah. Like I put a lot of work in my playlists. I think a lot about 
spin and music that I want to use and how I'm going to energize people and make them want to kick their own butts. But at the same time, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I, I guess it doesn't, I don't overthink it either. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's so important <laughs> to be your damn self. Yeah. Like that was my favorite thing about teaching at Chirad. At the end of the class, I'd be like, the most important thing is be true to yourself. Yeah, for sure. And it's something that I say to people outside of that. That's not like a brand thing. That is like Chris says that to everybody. It's true. And the thing that I appreciate so much is someone who has taken fitness on as their career is there are people who could have easily had high blood pressure. They could have problems with health. Mm-hmm. They're inclined to get into fitness. They're inclined to get those endorphins. They're improving their mental health. That's because yeah. of you. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I do it too, right? Like uh, it is um, an emotional release. It's a mental reset. It's all those things. It's also a way that I can drink beer guilt-free uh, on evenings and weekends. <laughs> uh, it's about balance, Chris. It is. It is. It's okay. It's okay. But I think it's, yeah, If uh, for, for me, if I've, if I've kept it real and people have uh, responded to that, that's awesome. And I... I I love I love my riders. I love the people that that come to to ride with me. It's a great feeling to be able to, yeah, I guess, you know, join someone's fitness journey or have them be part of your own fitness journey because I'm going through a fitness journey. We all are. Um, and then there's um, then there's like the, the the body image thing. I mean, I've I've always been a chubby kid. I've always been chubby. I. Uh, uh, growing up in New Brunswick, you don't do a lot of walking or cycling. There's a lot of driving. Uh, I didn't necessarily eat that great. When I moved to Vancouver, just by like walking around uh, SkyTrain to the buses, bus stops to work, I lost like 30 to 40 pounds just by not even trying. Literally by just adding like commuting to my lifestyle. And now being able to like do this for like a side job and, and have that be built into my life I don't even need to think about it, it, it is amazing um, and yeah it's great that uh, I don't know I hope that people see me like this kind of bigger dude I guess like up on the bike uh, you know putting on a show and getting people excited about working out I, I, I hope that uh, yeah that's uh, resonated with people and that's inspired them even though they don't look like they belong on a fitness magazine cover to to try indoor cycling and to try fitness and, and, you know, try and be part of that community. It's great. It's exciting because you have a strong following. You have people that are there for Eric. And those are people that sometimes I think about it. I'm like, would they be in fitness if not for Eric's impact? Maybe. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if, it's, if I'm that influential. I but, think you uh, are. I think well, thank you. you That's, pat yourself on the back. That's nice of you to you've say. Done good work. You've created a big impact. Thanks, man. You bet. What would you say is the toughest obstacle you face? And what tools have you used to overcome it? Uh, working in a creative space, you put a lot of yourself into your work a lot of the time. If you um, say you're writing something for, even if it's for... Say I'm writing something, a campaign for global, like the big fall launch is happening and we need like this, you know, really hooky kind of series of ads that advertise our station, advertise the personalities and I come up with this idea that I love and I put my heart and soul into it and I, and I present this to my boss and they just don't like it. It sucks. It sucks to be told that, yeah, no, 
it's not what I want. It's not what we want as a company or, you know, it could be a different client. Um, so working in a creative space, you learn pretty quick that while you need to put yourself into your work, like you need to use your expertise and, and use the things that you love in your, in your normal life and weave those into your work because that's what makes it, you know, authentic. It's what, what, it's what makes it breathe. People aren't always going to resonate with what you get excited about. So you have to learn to, well, A, not get married to anything you do. I, I hear a lot of, like, uh, filmmakers that start out, um, that's what they struggle with. It's when they, they shop their scripts around. People either don't respond the way they expected them to, to their writing or to the story, and they struggle with that, and it's like, oh, you just don't get it. Um, but the thing with a, an audience is that... Um, you need to see things from their perspective as well. Sometimes when you're too close to something, you can't see how other people would not see it the way you see it, if you know what I mean. Um, so you have to be open to that feedback and you have to be willing to go back to the drawing board and try again. And maybe the second time you won't feel like you want to put as much of yourself into it because then you're a little hurt and you're like, then you're in like self-preservation mode a little bit. But yeah, that's uh, that was one of the toughest things I think working in in production, working in that creative space. What you end up learning though is that the people that you know disagree with you or challenge you or, or provide feedback, they're not there to like stifle you and like shut you down. Um, even though some people are not as good at you know constructive criticism as others, um, they have interests that they need to protect. Like they are looking out for their company, they're looking out for. Uh, how their audience are gonna uh, audiences are gonna perceive them. So you need to learn how to see things from their perspective, and that's when like when you when you're doing like a feedback process, even if they give you feedback, hey, how about you try this? How about you make this yellow? And then maybe this is, this is not a woman; it's a man, and you know I don't know. They make changes, and you have to be able to kind of go, okay, yeah, let's try that. And one of two things will happen. Either it'll be ridiculous and it won't work. And then you can show them that and they'll be like, oh yeah, you're right. Or who knows, it might be better. And I've been lucky to have like a, a really good boss here um, at Global who has great instincts. Um, I find um, she, you know, when she has great gut feelings, sometimes when she, something's not working, it, it's hard for her to articulate why and how, but we've got like a relationship going where I can kind of, when she's mentioned something or flagged something, I'm kind of like, you know what? Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. And we, it's almost like we've learned to like speak our own secret language. <laughs> exactly. So um, it's cool to be on the same wavelength with somebody like that. And, um, and yeah, but if I wasn't open to that feedback and if I was just like, no, you're wrong and this is good the way it is and you just don't get it, I, we would have never had this working relationship. And to brag a little bit, I mean, that's led to some award-winning campaigns that we've done that have been recognized uh, at the international level and that's fantastic. Like, and it's, I, I can't take all the credit for it by any means. Like, It was definitely uh, a collaboration and that's uh, it's a beautiful thing. I've seen those awards. You shared them on the gram. I watched them. <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah. Tell the people. Trophies. What What are your accolades that you've collected in your career? Uh, when I worked at TELUS, I won a couple uh, corporate film awards uh, at this festival in Cannes. 
France, uh, and they actually flew me out once to go pick one up. That was awesome. That was probably one of the best uh, career trips, work trips of my life. No kidding. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, at uh, Global, I've won a couple. Um, I've, at Global, I've won a couple Pro Max DBA awards, basically recognizing achievements in uh, uh, local advertising. You always like down it a bit. Like I just. I remember I was watching the story once and it was like this cool little snippet of revealing the trophy and I was like, Eric, Eric won that trophy. Yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why people do that. Um, people like myself, like I'm very, I, I like to think that I'm humble. Uh, I don't talk a lot about my achievements. And I don't know if that's something to do with like growing up in the Maritimes where you don't, I don't know. You don't. You don't, don't need to overthink it. Just you being you. You don't. Okay. You don't brag too yeah. much. Yeah. So something that was really cool about what you're talking about with your like, with the production struggles and with the constructive criticism and stuff, and it's something that we can transfer on to like so many other things. Oh yeah. And I'm just gonna take it down the route of the trainer journey. Yeah. So as a trainer, you put yourself out there. You put yourself out there. You put yourself out there. You're trying to get some exposure. You're trying to get some clients. You're trying to say, hey, like, I have a brand and like, hopefully I can get some clients so I can make this sustainable so I can survive. And for anybody listening, you can pretty much apply this to any industry really. In order to succeed twice, you're going to need to try at least eight or ten times. There's going to be so many times when somebody says something and it stings and you're like, I don't like the sound of that because that makes me feel bad about myself. And you need to frame it. You're not feeling bad about yourself. You're hearing what they have to say and you're using that as tools to build yourself into something better than what you were before. And I think that's, that's just a great takeaway. And I just wanted to make sure that people could apply that to anything that they're doing. And it's not that I have nothing but trainers listening to this. I'm pretty sure I have a completely mixed bag. Probably have like three accountants listening to this today. But there's so many. You can't deny yourself some of the victories that are going to come out of every attempt that you put in. It's sort of a ratio. I would say like for every eight times you try, you probably win like once or twice. I think if you surround yourself with people that respect you and are looking out for you uh that that care about you and they have feedback you owe it to yourself to listen and you owe it to yourself to take their perspective uh, see if you can apply it to whatever it is that you're showing them and, and consider it seriously because um yeah i mean those people are just out to help you and even though feedback stings sometimes and um you know, it, yeah, like you say, it makes you grow, it makes you better, and, and then it, you will inevitably learn things from other people's experiences if you haven't had them yourself, right? And something I've often reflected on is, like, somebody is not going to give me their constructive criticism if they don't care. Like, everybody is kind of about what's going on in their world, yeah, and they want to grow themselves, and they want to grow the things that they have an invested interest in. So if they're giving you constructive criticism, they have an invested interest in you. They they really do want to see you grow. So anytime like somebody's like, you know, Chris, I wouldn't do that. And it really it sucks. You hear it the yeah. first time, it's like, oh, I put my heart into that, like or I put all this money into that, or like that was something I was banking on. And it's like this person's speaking up on it. Like they they have a reason that they're talking about it and they do want to see me grow. 
So there is something in what they have said that I can take away from it, and it's going to help me in the future. And there's been a lot of situations, like for, for myself, like I work at L2, worked at L2, they shut her down. I had to set something new up. I've had some advice, some of it stung, and I've learned to take a little piece of it out of each one. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that people get like this little snippet, something for their toolbox so they can be like, oh, I'm going to take that and that's how I'm going to go over my obstacle. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I kind of stole the show there a little bit. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I mean, and you, you raise a good point. Like even what can seem like a dead end or a failure, you know, you're learning from it. Uh, I know that's kind of cliche to say, but it's true. Like you know, what you did at L2 is going to serve you in your next gig. Um, and, and what I did at, you know, the the projects that I had that might have never seen the light of day, because that happens every once in a while, you, you're learning and you're, you're using those uh, and applying it in your future endeavors. Completely. So, growing up on the East Coast, and you picked up and we moved all the way to the West. <sighs> Is all your family still in the East? I have my parents, um, empty nesters now, good for them. They still live in the house I grew up in, in a little town called Nigwak, New Brunswick, uh, which I'm told in the indigenous language there means infertile soil. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff don't grow here, Nigwak. A lot of dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> useless dirt. Just dirt and in them here parts. So I left the useless dirt place, and um, so they're still there, uh, and stuff does grow there. I think they were they had it wrong, <laughs> um, and I have a brother who lives in Vernon, and he has a, a a wife and two kids. So being that they're more than a short drive away, mm-hmm. how do you build time to like nurture your family relationships into your week? Like, what's something you prioritize? keep things consistent and connected i'm a terrible son actually i do not make enough time for my family unfortunately um i talk to my mom maybe like once a month these days which is awful um but i mean we're all busy there's a time difference uh excuses excuses um it's hard. It's hard to make time uh, when you're working a full-time job and you have like a part-time job that takes up a lot of your time and then you're trying to fit friends in there, um, relationships, etc. Making time is not easy. And then with my brother, I'm, I'm not that close, I guess, with him. Like I, uh, I love his kids and I try to see them like maybe twice a year. But um, yeah, my brother and I aren't like, aren't like, like, buds or anything um <laughs> i'm the media and he's uh, he's in the police force <laughs> we're kind of like sworn enemies in some ways um and uh yeah uh, so yeah I, I can't say that I, I make enough time for them unfortunately as someone who's known you fairly well i would say for the last year as true family grew close and yeah. having that that uh, buzzword true fam true fam true fam what do you think about the people that you get to choose as your family? Oh, interesting. Uh, I love my true family. Uh, I've, I've made a very close best friend from uh, the crew and everybody else I consider best friends as well. Um, we, yeah, we're like a unit. We look out for each other. We, we help each other out uh, when someone's having a down day, when somebody's apartment burns down, when... Uh, somebody gets dumped or has a crappy relationship or is 
get late, gets laid off. These are all things that have happened and that we've talked about and helped each other out with. Um, and we're really there for each other and we're really lucky uh, that we were assembled and, and we, that, yeah, we were brought together. Yeah, I guess it's important for us to, to find just really genuine, authentic people that just care about other people and that care about, um, you know, making a difference and, 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 and helping people in any way they can. Some people might not find like that role, that family role in like what would be their, their blood relatives. But if you have like a family role being filled by somebody who honestly you're reflecting, you're like, yeah, I guess they really are like my family. Yeah. That's, that's the important thing. And I'd say you do make time for them like, yeah. every week, like every week, you know it. Because you're going to see at least one of them when you're teaching your class. Yeah. You're going to have that uh, interaction. Oh, for sure. I mean, I hang out with uh, a lot of a lot of our people like on a weekly basis uh, or we text or there's like we have a group chat going constantly like a, a lot of families do. We have our own, yeah, true fam chat going. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, I guess. I never thought of it that way, like choosing your own family, but it's true. I guess um, you can't choose your biological family, but, uh, you know, yeah, there is a closeness with people that, you know, share the same values and, and outlook that you do. It's so important, I think, to keep that as like a pillar for any, any situation. There's going to be times when you're really pushing yourself to the limit, and like that's why... The, the group fitness, the boutique fitness, the all that kind of environment where they're doing something that thrives on the idea that they have created a culture where everybody gathers, somebody has somebody to keep each other accountable, you have a bad day, there's somebody that's actually going to give a shit. Mm. Like, so much of that is is supported by the idea of, like, community culture family choose your family all those things and the whole idea of like just having a group chat where it's like hey like somebody had something happen that's maybe not pressing but there's at least one other person in the group that maybe has had the same thing happen or they can relate yeah or they can just be an ear to hear and there's been so many times when i have benefited from Mm. from like the group chat that you're in from other group chats that i've formed since and it's neat. It's neat because, like, sometimes we talk about family and it's like, well, I mean, you know, but, like, then you have to consider, like, what else is family to you? Because there's a lot of people in the city that they'll think family. And they will, like, even the people who are closest to their family, like, they're sharing a bed with their twin sister and, like, their stepbrother is just down the hall and everybody gets along harmoniously. They all eat from the same cereal bowl. Everybody's happy, happy, happy. But they still also have their chosen family. Yeah. That's something to factor in. And I think it's really cool to see how, uh, well, I, for one, have leached on you'll never get rid of me as part of the true family. <laughs> We're happy of, to have you, Chris. <laughs> there's a lot of people in this town that are like, we just can't shake him. We're part of his circle of love, and he just won't let us out. The famous uh, Chris Little's Circle of Love. We're going to get t-shirts made, I swear. And there's a lot of people in this town that will be wearing them. Should I have a secret handshake? Oh, for something? sure. It'll be simple because I get forgetful. <laughs> I mean, t-shirt first or foremost, I'm going to have one. Maybe instructions to the handshake can be on the t-shirt. <laughs> just like, I'm just going to do a regular handshake and probably give you a hug afterwards. Yeah. But it's so important. And I think like a person, because 
I find that a lot of people uh, that find themselves feeling anxious or nervous or afraid can relate to a lot of the stuff that I put out there because I'm really good at just sharing everything. Really good at being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And when I'm weak, I tell the whole world. When I fail, tell everybody. And so for a person, if they're listening to the podcast and they're thinking like, how, how do you do it? Well, just pick your people that are pillars. Form a group chat if you haven't already. And that, that's your people that keep you going forward. And I think it's, that's probably our biggest takeaway of like any obstacle that you're facing going forward. Do you think that the true fam is going to help you through? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. Like uh, being vulnerable is important. And uh, I'm lucky in a way. I've always been sort of able to do that. And I've kind of always been pretty aware of my emotions and found people that I could talk to about that with i don't know that that's the case for every guy out there like i feel for 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 men specifically it is hard some people find it hard to be vulnerable um and yeah i think when you not that you need to wear your heart on your sleeve or anything but you need to talk about stuff when you need to talk about stuff when things aren't great in your head and your heart like it's important that you get that stuff out and you know you find somebody who's willing at least to listen and then provide some kind of feedback and, and, um, yeah, I think, uh, and you're lucky too, that you're able to do that. Not everybody can. And, uh, it's easier to say, oh, we should all just be more vulnerable, but it's hard to get there in a lot of ways. So you're right. Finding the right people helps. Um, when you find people that you can be comfortable with, uh, that you can let your guard down and just kind of speak from the gut. I think, um, yeah, your your life is enriched from that for sure. Everybody has their five year plan. Everybody has something that is in the back of their mind. Ha! I got you. I got you. <laughs> Start thinking. I'm gonna ramble while you come up with your five year plan, Eric. Everybody has ramble. something in the back of their mind. They're thinking like, okay, like my best life. I'm Eric Morris, and I'm living my best life. This is what it looks like five years down the road. Where do I live? What am I doing? Your best life, man. Like, what is your career like? What What are you aiming for? What are your stars? What are you shooting for? Oh, best life. I'm working on a TV show that I write and direct or something. Or I'm like, you know, when a show ends and then like executive produced by, well, that's my name that's there. Actually, that means I would just be financing that thing. No, I want to be more involved than that. <laughs> I want to be at the front of the show, not the back of the show. There you go. Anyway, um, yeah. So working in, I'd, I'd like to work in television, have a film produced, and make a movie. Where do you live? I live somewhere. Um, Beach. Nice weather. By the water would be nice. I am a, definitely a coastal. Coastal snow, human. No snow. Probably no snow. I'm okay you? with snow. I grew up with a lot of snow. Okay. The dumps okay. in the Maritimes are crazy. West coast, east coast. Probably west coast though. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Canada, U.S. Uh, I love Canada. Actually, my mission. I've always. I, I used to always say this. My mission is to make a Canadian movie, like a movie about Canada. It doesn't need to be about Canada, but set in Canada anyway. Some sort of semi-Canadian story that people watch and go, "That's so Canadian." but not in a derogatory way. 
because I feel like a lot of our content, people would be like, yeah, it's good, but it's like, it's very Canadian. Meaning it was like, I don't know, it, yeah. looked, it looked cheap. The acting was like, okay. <laughs> you know, I feel like people say that as like a put down and I kind of want to change that term. I change the baggage that comes with that term and, and make it like a good thing. Yeah. So like changing it from like, that is so Canadian to, damn, that's Canadian. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. I feel like some shows are get like are are have done it. They've done it, but I feel like they have for sure ramped it up over the last few years. Like I'm pretty proud of some of the production value that's coming out of the country. Right now. We have creative people, uh, and you know, there's great shows out there like Trailer Park Boys, which I actually love. If you haven't watched Trailer Park Boys, oh, I have. It's easy. I find it's it's one of those shows I never wanted to watch because I was sure it was terrible, but then it's. When you start watching it, it's really clever. It's really well written. It's a low budget show, so they do the most with what they have, the resources they have, and they have to be really ingenious with how they move the plot along and stuff. It's great, um, and it's still on now. Netflix, Netflix picked it up. Um, so yeah, there's stuff out there, but even those stories, they're very like they're very uh, I don't know drenched in Canadiana, and I'm not talking about necessarily making something with like moose in it and like you know. Sex in a Canoe and Tukes and all that stuff. Like I, something set in Canada or Canadian stories that are, you know, can be universally uh, uh, enjoyed. Um, but that it would be something that, yeah, we could be proud of. I can be proud of. <laughs> I'm picking up what you're throwing down. So I what hope- that looks like and how I get there, I'm still figuring that out. I've written a, I've written a feature film script. I actually have. Uh, and it's not easy to do because it's something you have to do in your own time. Uh, with no reward at the end of it, really. And I find that's one of the hardest things. I, I like. I admire like the filmmakers that have just gone for it and just gone out on a limb and went for it. Uh, it's not easy to do. You don't have a reward guaranteed at the end, and you're putting like a ton of work into something. Um, writing a yeah, 100-page script, not as easy as it sounds. It takes a lot of discipline and like your ideas need to be flowing and you need to map it out. You can't just sit there and write a script. Like you need to like think about it and write your scenes on like little cards that you move around and you're like, ah, how is this all going to work? And um, yeah, it's daunting. But uh, when you get it done, you're like, wow, I actually have like a, a thing. I'm holding a thing that represents like what I love and what I'm passionate about. And um and it's your work and like it's it's like the fruit of your labor quite literally not, not i guess not that literally you can't eat it but oh. <laughs> um so yeah somewhere in there i guess i sort of a step in the right direction what's the genre of your script my script that i wrote is kind of like an action comedy uh a bit in the style of like an edgar wright movie if you're into edgar wright he did like Shaun of the dead hot fuzz um what else do we do? Baby Driver, most recently. Like, kind of that kinetic, always, there's always something happening and blink and you miss it. There's a lot of jokes in there. Uh, but that has, like, some action components to it. And where would it need to be filmed at? Where would be your ideal setting? Well, it's actually set on the East Coast. Uh, there is a fishing boat chase, which re- which involves somebody uh, hurling uh, lobster at bad guys as projectiles to fend them off. So that's, I guess, what I mean by, like, yeah, it's very Canadian. There's Canadian parts to it, but it's it's an action comedy at the end of the day. I feel like a good example of that is, like, Bon Cop, Bad Cop, where it's, like, it happens to be an Ontario and Quebec uh, officers on this case, but it's it's like 
an easily it's a, it's a movie that could be easily enjoyed by anybody else. There's like yeah, sure there's inside jokes and you're rewarded I guess if you get them, but it's um it's a great movie kind of overall. Totally. I agree. Have you ever heard of Shane Fantasy? He's somebody who produces films. Mm-hmm. Uh and generally like, he just makes sure that the the ship is on on course, makes sure everything is going into place. Yeah. I think you should meet him. Does he have money? It's not all about the money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a big a big uh, barrier to stuff like filmmaking is that yeah, you need to raise capital. You need to finance your movie because you need to pay your crew and you need to pay for actors and stuff like that. So um, yeah, but Netflix has promised to put like a lot of money into Canadian content and stuff. So there's thing there's there's there are things happening. There are venues there that can uh, be explored. So when we uh, release this episode, I'm gonna tag Shane. I'm gonna tell him to listen, and I might be able to make a connection that brings you like an inch closer, an inch closer sure. to your goal. Because sometimes it's just about having a little conversation with somebody that does something that happened, and sometimes it's about uh, having something that makes a light bulb turn on. Mm-hmm. But that's neither here nor there. That's for after the episode. <laughs> My next question for you, and it's a pressing one. It's something that's gonna take a lot of thinking. What's your favorite place to eat? In Edmonton. Ah, my God. You're saving the hard questens for the end, Chris. Oh, my it's, goodness. It's tough. Oh, man. Favorite place to eat? I've got, I've, uh, yeah. Edmonton has some good restaurants. Mm, Daravara was one of my favorites, and it closed recently, you jerks. How could you? What was it all about? What kind of food did they have? Uh, you know what? It was like uh, <laughs> Chris, who owns Listen Records, uh, described this best. He said, as opposed to being like a, a bar that has food, it was like a restaurant that also had, had a bar. bar. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, it, it was positioned like a pub, but it was like, the food was amazing. Like it was like a, a pub with like gourmet pub food, I guess. So you'd go for brunch and like everything was just really tasty. The ingredients were good. Um, yeah. And their beer selection was like, is all right, but it wasn't, you know, you don't go for the, for the beer. You don't go to this pub for the beer. You go for the food, which is kind of weird. Uh, anyways, it was amazing. Um, I'm trying to think what else I really like. I like a lot of uh, the cafes we have here. Uh, little Brick is like a great little joint. I love to bike to out in uh, uh, Riverdale. Uh, Such a hipster, hipster life you live. Come on! <laughs> like if anybody saw your beard, they'd be like, yeah, <laughs> hipster. What? That's okay. Um, yeah, I guess uh, those are a couple places that I really like. Sugar Bowl is always solid. Uh, anywhere that has a good beer selection and some good food, I'm there. Prairie Noodle House, delicious, good beer. Yeah, beer. the beer factor is important. It's an important one. Very, very important. <laughs> so I'm loading up the question, Pazooka. This one's going to be a tough one to answer. Oh, God. What is your favorite concert and why? <clears throat> favorite concert I've ever been to. I go to a lot of concerts. Exactly. I, I'm a, a big music fan, a lot of genres. Um, I've seen The National, this kind of American uh, old hipster band, <laughs> I guess, a bunch of times. They're always great. Um, What's one, like, just for a memory that you made from it? Sometimes it's not even the music, it's out. the memory. I remember at the Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver seeing Block Party, which are these this UK uh, kind of garage rock. Not, well, they called it math rock, the genre at the time. Uh, a lot of like um, 
yeah, tight guitar chord progression. Um, I guess why they called it math rock. And I remember Banquet. They played their big song, Banquet. And I love that song. I still love that song. I played in spin class. And this song is like 18 years old or something. I think it came out in 2000. Um, don't quote me on that. I remember being at the Commodore Ballroom and they start playing this song and the crowd of a thousand plus people just were jumping in unison and they have one of those like ballroom floors that has a bit of bounce to it and it was like if you weren't jumping you were still jumping because the the floor was giving out underneath you and like caused you to kind of go up and down. I think just the energy in the room and the fact that all these different people from different backgrounds were there just to like party to this song is was amazing there's something about concerts and when people are really into it um it's just a great feeling of like togetherness and celebration and um yeah that's probably why i go to that many concerts <laughs> that makes sense it's like that vibe yeah going and feel it's like endorphins and exercise same thing right most recently, I saw Future Islands at Union Hall, and they were amazing. The lead singer is, his name's Sam Herring, and he is this super charismatic, but kind of weird performer. Um, he kind of looks like a, like a high school drama teacher or something, um, and he, he wears like polo shirts but they're tucked into his pants like he's not, <laughs> he doesn't have like the best style i guess necessarily but man he, but you remembered him he remembered all he, those things he gets up there and he performs and he's doing these crazy things and he has this like amazing growl in his voice and uh and i went there with some friends that had, didn't know much about them and they all walked away like what the hell just happened like, <laughs> what was that that was amazing like so yeah um that's, uh, yeah, Future Islands. If you can catch them, absolutely check them out. They're wild. That's awesome. I didn't even know, like, Union Hall was still a thing. Like, are they still operating full on? For sure. I see I see shows at the Union Hall quite often. I saw Big Boy there this year, which is really good. I saw the Japan Droids. Um, yeah, I'm there uh, once every couple months or so, yeah. You're one of their regulars. <laughs> Bonobo was there. They They were good. Here he for another good. one. It's Ana- me. Another one. Eric Spins. Yeah. <laughs> so, here's the finish. This is how we close it off. If you were to give our listeners one piece of advice on authentically living life to the fullest, what would it be? Just be yourself, man. Love yourself for who you are. Play to your strengths. Uh, it's funny, every once in a while... I kind of get self-conscious about my spin classes and I'll ask the true fam, like, hey, I feel like I need to be a little bit more, like, deep and inspirational in what I say. And they're like, why? Would you, why? That's not, that's not what people like your class for. That's not, that's, not that, not that I'm not deep because people, you know, my close friends will attest to the fact that I, you know, love to have, I don't know, very deep emotional conversations. Um... But that's not um, necessarily something that comes to me naturally when I'm up there on the bike leading a class, and I don't need to do that. Uh, and they, my true fan is there to remind me about that. So yeah, um, play to your strengths. If you're a, a goofball that, uh, I don't know, likes music that energizes people, and you have like a, a personality that uh, gets people going when they're working in a dark room on bikes that go nowhere, <laughs> own it. Um, that can apply to you know anybody anywhere um yeah i feel like everybody has 
has strengths and and uh, strengths that they, they can capitalize on and and use to their advantage. And if they're different, so what? People will love you for that. People, normal is boring, I always think. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so if you're different, awesome, even better. Uh, be different. Own it. Yeah, own it. I love it. Thanks for being my guest. We'll chat soon. Yeah, thanks, Chris.